The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. LinkedIn presents. How can we look at the Sparkotype ideas and broaden them one click out and incorporate into developing team, mission, vision, and values. In today's episode, listener Kayla, she shares an experience that is pretty common across a lot of industries right now and wants to know, especially as a leader, how to combat the deep fatigue and burnout that so many are experiencing and reignite the passion for work and for team collaboration when everyone is just so exhausted. And on deck with me this week from the Sparked Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is strategic advisor and executive coach, founder of the Productive Flourishing Consultancy and author of the multi-award-winning book, Start Finishing, Charlie Gilkey. So quick note, you will hear us mention something we call sparkotypes in conversation. So what is that? Well, it turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your sparkotype. When you discover yours, everything, your entire work life and even parts of your personal and relationship lives, they begin to make more sense. And until you know yours, well, we're kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your sparkotype for free at sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now on to Kayla's story in question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. Hi there. My name is Kayla Archer. My pronouns are she, her, hers. When it comes to my general life circumstances right now, I am a full-time working new mom. Not brand new. I'm about eight months in, but still learning as I go. And I work for a small Medicaid agency in Denver, Colorado as a learning and organizational development specialist. What's working and what's not right now? Let's spend a little time on what's not working. What's not working is our attempts, my department's learning and development's efforts to bring organizational development to the team level. We've been working on campaigns to customize learning and growth for teams for over a year. And there's something about the digital world that is not helping us get our messaging across to help things hit home. I also am starting to believe that with the fatigue from the pandemic has arisen this fatigue when it comes to having to put forth extra effort when it comes to anything. And that can include work. That can be a personal issue, but I'm experiencing it most when it comes to work. People in teams, being in a team is like being part of a marriage, as we know, and you have to put forth some effort. And right now, any effort feels extra. Any effort feels more than we have. And my team is really struggling to help reignite the passion for work, reignite the passion for collaboration. We're trying and we're trying, but we are having to overcome the sense of workmanship 
that is right now, particularly in our field in the Medicaid space, due to pandemic fatigue. This is where I'm hoping that Sparkotype can help. My Sparkotype profile, my primary Sparkotype is Maven. My shadow Sparkotype is the advisor. And my anti-Sparkotype is the advocate. Of course, being a Maven leaves me asking questions all the time. What can we do better? How can we make this learning happen at the team level? and make it more effective. What rabbit hole can I fall down into that's going to help me find the one thing or the seven things that's going to make a difference for our teams and and our organization? I've worked with many of these people for a really long time, and that's where my advisor piece comes in. How can I help advise, guide, be a conduit for the for the knowledge that I believe these individuals and these teams already have. How can I bring that to the surface? I'm fighting and fighting and fighting against that fatigue I was talking about and really desiring just to get to the essence of the truth. And that is how my Sparkotype profile is playing into this scene that I'm working with. My one specific question that I have for you for Jonathan and the Brain Trust is when looking at Sparkotype, when reading the book, listening to the book in my case, I loved the self-discovery, really looking at myself. And I'm wondering as I'm working towards bringing teams knowledge about their dynamics, specifically when it comes to team mission, vision, and values, which is really, really important. How can we look at the Sparkotype ideas and broaden them one click out? zoom out one click to the team view and incorporate what we know about Sparkotypes into developing team mission, vision, and values. I know it's tricky. I've been trying to think about it for a while and I just wanted to throw that your way. Thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate you listening to this and wishing you the best of luck with your podcast. Hi, I'm Jonathan Fields. Tune into my podcast for conversations about the sweet spot between work, meaning, and joy. And also listen to other people's questions about how to get the most out of that thing we call work. Check out Spark wherever you enjoy podcasts. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Charlie, 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 where do we dive in here? This is such a an of-the-moment inquiry. Kayla is just sharing this, like leading in the time of burnout, fatigue, and exasperation, and especially in her particular context with the people who've just been like so there and so... Uh, you can hear it in her voice, um, but at the same time, you can hear in her voice, she's not giving up. She's like, she's got hope. She knows that there's something out there. She knows there are things that you can do, um, which is why I was so excited to to wrangle you in because this is so your wheelhouse. So where do we dive in? Where do we start with this conversation? There are so many different ways we can go with this one. And as you mentioned, as I was listening to this, I was like, oh, wow, 
I'm so appreciative of the heart that Kayla still has in this because what she didn't acknowledge, but I'm at least going to make space for, she was talking about our team's fatigues or coworkers' fatigues, but I'm imagining she's got some of her own, right? That, that she's dealing with while trying to go with what can seem like this wall of resistance to her introducing something new. And I think before we go on, how about we set the table with the sparkotype when it comes to um, you sort of talking a little bit about where her sparkotype fits into this this scenario, but I also have some macro trend things that, that we can talk about after that piece. Yeah. So what she shared was that her primary sparkotype is the maven, which is all about learning. It's knowledge acquisition, a love of learning for no other reason than just acquiring more knowledge. Her shadow or her quote runner up was the advisor. And that's all about guiding others through a process of growth. And it's deeply relational. So part of that is also she's probably feeling on, a, on an empathetic level, you know, what's going on with all the people around her and with, with her team. And her anti was the advocate, which was interesting because when she shared that, you you probably picked this up too. There was a little hitch in her voice. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, but I'm actually playing the role of advocate a lot of the time right now. And it's interesting because, so what we know about the anti-type sparkotype is, this is a thing that you don't necessarily get to opt out of. It may be part of the work you do. It may be part of the job that you're doing. And that's all about shining the light on championing ideas, ideals, individuals, communities. Right. And a lot of us, we, we, you know, it's, it's just part of the thing that we do, but it's for whatever reason, it's a bit of a heavier lift for us. It takes more energy, more effort, more recovery and more motivation. And there, there can sometimes be this thing that says, but that shouldn't be a heavier lift for me, which is what I have a feeling that little hitch in her voice was when she identified it. She's like, I'm a leader. I'm supposed to be advocating for people and ideas and all this stuff. And in fact, she is. That's why we're having this conversation. Right. But at the same time, it's important to acknowledge that. She does that. It's a part of what, you know, she's about. It's a part of her role. And it also very likely takes a bit more out of her than it might somebody else. So circling back to what you started with, acknowledging your own state at this moment in time is really important and acknowledging when you're standing in that role of feeling like a big part of what you're being called to do at this moment in time is to advocate for new ideas, for change, for adoption of things that may be really important to you. You know, it may be important to her impulse as an advisor and to her deep desire to learn and at the same time acknowledging that she's really going to want to reflect the same lens on taking care of herself, on self-care filling her own self up while she's doing it, while she's standing more in that place of doing the work of her anti, which may be a part of her job, which may be an expression of values, a commitment to advocacy and service for a particular moment in time or season in time. So that's sort of like my immediate take on her sparkotype and how it's sort of like is maybe dancing with this particular moment for her. I'm so glad we started with that because trying to put on the shoes of a maven in this scenario... There, the the hope I hear in her voice is around the excitement around the ideas and the learning mm. and the knowledge and things like that. And so, um, Jonathan, you may want to punch me in the eye about this oversimplification, right? But the Maven sparkotype is really heavily centered on novelty in a way. And whereas the advocate can be maybe a little bit more conservative, maybe a little bit more like maybe we not try try a lot, depending upon one's context. And so it's interesting because for me, seeing these larger trends in the workplace, she's absolutely right. Folks are just worn out. I'm going to pause here because usually when an organization surges to meet like heroic demand and does that, 
there's a reset and recalibration that happens at some point afterwards. We, and largely our society, have not yet had that reset and recalibration. At most, what we've done is sort of sort of had a glide path back down to what the normal, the pre-normal was. But when we really think about a reset and a recovery, it has to be less than the previous normal. So if we surge up 40%, where is the down surge 40% to make that happen? And Jonathan, you know my military background. Like This is exactly what we'll do sometimes. Like, yes, we'll have to do this extraordinary effort here, but there's a reset. There's a transition period to where folks can go back and garrison or be, be on R&R, be or whatever they need to do, because we recognize we cannot maintain that level of op-tempo indefinitely. And so, unfortunately, a lot of organizational development and learning initiatives amount to saying, okay, we're here, let's add some stuff more on that, more stuff you have to figure out, more things you got to do to where... A lot of our workforce is saying, yeah, but I'm kind of like really tired. I've spent, I, did we talk about this last time? It doesn't matter. I'll say it again. Look, we have not had a bigger disruption in the workforce than what we've had in COVID since World War II. That was the last time we took all of our workways and all of our team habits and just tumped them out and said, you know what? Figure it out all over again. The computer revolution was not that, right? We had chances to like integrate computers and internet and email, all those things like one technology at a time. It came in as fast, but it wasn't overnight. March 2020, things changed overnight. And I don't think we're taking seriously as organizational leaders that learning how to work again across all dimensions of your work is fatiguing in this extra stressful time of a pandemic when everybody else is figuring this out at the same time. So yeah, people are absolutely tired. And so I, I, I saw that like, okay, imagine I'm tired. And then I have the L&D folks coming and talking to me about learning and growth. When really the real conversation I want to have is like, where does the break come though? Like mm. how, wh- when, we, when are we going to talk about that? So that's one of the things that popped up for me. And as she started ending and talking about mission, vision, and values and how important that was. I know this may be a Charlie thing. Yes, I'm working on this for my book, but it's like, but where are the team habits that we need to talk about too? I think mm. we talk a lot about mission, vision, and values, which is great. We put them on the wall, you know, they look pretty and things like that, but that's not what's wearing us out. What's wearing us out are the good and bad team habits we have. And we have had to sort of Frankenstein a bunch of ways of working with each other and team habits over the last few years. And I think if I were approaching this, I would be saying, okay, what are the team habits? What are the ways in which we're going to reform these teams that actually bring down the load and actually make work make sense again for our actual context? Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's it's such an important frame. And it's interesting that you, like, you're going there because one of the things I picked up on a little bit further into what Kayla was sharing was that, and I'm, I'm looking for her exact language. She says, how can we make this learning happen at the team level and make it more effective, which is interesting. So she's bringing her beautiful Maven's lens to this because in her experience, like it's all about learning. Learning lights her up. She's a Maven. Like, oh, how I want to learn more about myself, about the teams, about the dynamics, because that's what's going to solve the problem. And for her, that that's a big part of it, right? And for a lot of Mavens, that's, you know, 
awesome. And that lens sort of brushes up with a bit of friction against what you're sharing right now, which is for others, sure, there may be learning as a part of the process or relearning or reimagining, but the frame of learning, most people hear right now as, oh, more work for me at a time where the, the only thing they want is less work, is more recovery, is more restoration, more reclamation of some sort of sense of like, I can breathe again. So it was interesting just because the, the frame itself creates a little bit of tension where you have somebody who is so driven to do good and to really help and support. And, and at the same time, it's an invitation to say, huh, so the way I'd step into this, how can we all learn this together? And that may, in fact, be part of the process, but there may be um, a, an invitation to reimagine the language as you bring new ideas to people where it's not perceived instantly as, oh, more to do when all I want to do is breathe and do less. Absolutely. And that's where, again, pulling back workways and team habits, it's one of those situations to where we don't get to opt out of that because we're participating with our teams no matter what it is. And so... It's kind of like, and you know this from your yoga background, we spend, most of us spend all day breathing incorrectly. And so when people have to learn to breathe a new way and things like that, it's like, but you're already breathing. You're just doing it badly. <laughs> you're not doing it in ways that really support your, your true health. And I would come in and say, you know what? We're already doing a lot. And my goal is not to add a whole bunch of new stuff to do, but to say of the things we do, how can we get sharper or crisper and better, not from traditional organizational perspectives, which means how can I crank more widgets out of you or how can you crank more widgets in a certain unit at a time? There's a place for that. But in this context where we're talking about wanting to eject more compassion and humanity and grace into the workforce, it's not about, you know, increased um, units of widgets created per hour. It's how do we reduce the friction and difficulty in the ways in which we work together? How do we reconcile the reality that there are a lot of people who we actually like as individuals? We may have developed some sort of weird work-love relationship, but if they reply all one more time, <laughs> I'm going to lose it, right? And talking about those little micro-stressors, like we see this from Progress Principle where minor setbacks o over time, like little small ones like that throughout the day, actually have a greater weight on one's work satisfaction than the big wins. And so, yeah, all of these little micro moments of reply all threads and broken printers and, you know, Kevin over talking someone at the meeting and all those types of things are places where we can say, what if our learning and organizational development wasn't about adding new frameworks and tools and matrices and things like that, but just centered on how do we work better together? How do we treat each other more fully human, like as, as more full humans? And how do we come and, and honor each other's unique gifts, but not pile on the additional work and things like that we're doing? So a lot of it, I think, you know, what we have to look at on the OD and learning side of things is how do we go back to a to an elegant essentialism when it comes to a lot of the load that we've had so that we can rehabituate how we work together. And depending upon how that's languaged in an organization, you might be like, look, I'm not coming in with, you know, we're not going to read four books and we're not going to do six hours of training. And we're not going to do all that. What we're going to do is have a 30 minute conversation about how we can make meetings better and make them work better for all of us. 
We'll brainstorm some ideas and then we'll try them. We're already doing meetings. So how can we do them better for us? Right. And my experience thus far has been that people are like, yes, thank you. <laughs> right. Cause that's been what's killing me. It turns out, and I was saying this in a talk I gave the other night, it turns out that facilitating a Zoom meeting is a skill. Many of us just picked it up and started doing it. But when you think about it as a skill, when you think about these core habits and core skills as they are, then we can focus more of our OD and learning and development towards those things and not merely adding more things on top of it. Yeah, I love that. And I love the way that you sort of position it. I think it's it's a great model for language um, when you're having these conversations. And as you're speaking, you used the word friction at one point. And that, that immediately just stuck in my head because I think what so many people are, are experiencing is not only fatigue, but this sense of friction. Like <laughs> everything I'm doing feels like it's harder than it needs to be. There's just friction mm-hmm. at every point along the way. It's like it's, and there's almost sometimes I feel like a, a latent shame that goes along with it because then you're like, but objectively, like it, this shouldn't feel this hard. And then you start to blame yourself mm-hmm. for feeling that way. And you're like, no, there's like, there's a bigger context here. There's, we're all still living under the weight of something that we've been struggling with for a chunk of years now. And the reality is most of us were actually struggling under at least the partial weight of that for years before. This is not a new thing. What happened in the last two years has just amplified it dramatically and compressed the time frame that we're feeling all these feelings all at once. So it's like the amplitude of the fatigue and the burnout and the exhaustion is up and the time frame is even compressed into a shorter period of time. So it's like those little squeezy toys in your hands, right? <laughs> and like the, when you squeeze it, it just all bulges out and gets bigger at the same time. And when I think about how do you remove friction, you know, that feeling that everything feels harder than it needs to be. I know there are a lot of things that you look at. You just suggested one of them. How can we actually just have a short meeting so it doesn't feel burdensome about or short conversation about how to, how to do meetings better, which now sets in motion a series of like quick and fun experiments. Maybe they work, maybe they don't, but you'll find a way pretty quickly to be like, oh yeah, like these things that we have to do like on a regular basis, probably a few times a day when they're done like badly and we're already feeling like we're on the edge. It just pushes us over. Whereas if we could just tweak them a little bit, right? It removes some of that friction and happening three times a day, five days a week, you know, like four weeks a month, those little things make a meaningful change. And of course, me, you know, like thinking about it from the lens of the fundamental impulse of effort that makes us come alive, your sparkotype, one of the ways that I look at reducing friction also, and this was shared with me by um, somebody I know who who founded two companies and has everyone in both of her companies do this and then just spend a little bit of time like having a conversation like, how can we align what you're doing with these deeper impulses, more of the work that nourishes you and less of the work that is that empties you. And, and then she sort of like helps people just through this fairly short and sweet process to just say like what's yes yes to more of this and and no to to this and her her exact words and this is the reason I'm bringing it up to me were because I said well how did that affect you how did it affect people in the order how does it affect and she's basically she said it just felt like like friction fell away you know we didn't have to to work on it it was just like when you spend a little bit of time just asking people like hey here's this thing about you what would you like like to do more of and what would you like to do less of? And can we actually make that? How much can we make it happen within the context of your job, your organization, like what we have available? It makes little shifts, even the smallest shift in that doesn't have to be a big wholesale change. 
even smaller shifts in that over time, right? Because we're talking about things that are repeated over and over and over and over. And going back to what you said, you know, we often look for like the really big levers, but so many times it's the tiny things that happen over and over and over and over that have these multiplying effects and both on the positive side, but also on the negative side. And we tend to not look at them because we're like, eh, it's incremental. It could make a difference. But those little things over time make a huge difference. They make a extraordinary difference. And part of this is the difference in perspective and wiring from like senior leaders and folks who are doing the work every day. Because senior leaders, we tend to come in and we want the big insight that's going to make a huge difference. We're going to want, you know, to make that huge sort of exponential change. And we miss those small things right, um, as important, or maybe that's what our managers do, or maybe that's what they can figure out at the bottom. But when you're at the bottom, as it were, you're just crushed by all the things. And so many, unfortunately, so many workplaces don't open up the conversation that like, we can all make work better. Like that's not just senior leadership's job. That's not just managers. And that's why, again, I know I, I talk so much about team habits and workways, because when we say like, look, these six to eight humans that I work with every day that I have an incredible amount of influence and rapport with, we can drop some of these things. Like I can maybe pull Kevin aside and say, you know, it's really uncomfortable the way that you over talk folks. And I don't know that you know you're doing, I know you're probably super excited, but here's how that lands for us. It's a hard conversation, but is it any harder than having that happen for the next two years? Right. Um, just these small things add up and, and they, they accumulate, they build moment, they build momentum in a team. So yeah, that's where I would place a lot of it because, you know, in any good sort of habit methodology, you always want to get to that thing where we all agree, like, that's a small change. Like there's, we can do that. That's an easy thing we can do. So let's do that as opposed to that six months change initiative to where you're going to learn how to do things. No, I mean, there's a place and time for that. I submit right now for most people is not that place in time um, when we're coming on the back of a cultural and economic surge to figure out how, how work works now. Yeah. Love that. Love that. So I think where we are is, um, you know, if we zoom the lens out and, and start to wrap up this combo, we've got Kayla who is deeply passionate and invested in taking care of her team and, and really, really, really holding them in high esteem and, and helping them feel good. And, and how do we recover and how do we do good work in, in, in a job and a team and an organization that is so important, so valuable. An invitation for her to say, you also need to take care of yourself. So make sure. You're turning that lens of love on yourself. Um, look at your primary impulse, that maven thing, um, and know that a lot of the language, even that she shared with us, is framed in the the language of learning, which is amazing for her. And that may be part of what actually happens, but maybe shifting just the frame, the way she languages it to her teams could be really helpful in having them be more open to it and not be just hearing, oh, more work. And then focusing in on these tiny habits rather than the big sweeping things, as you're saying, saying, well, what are the little things? I love your idea of starting out with like, let's just have a short conversation about meetings. Like, like you know, it's pretty safe bet they're not working for, for most, if not all of us right now. Let's talk about like how we might reimagine them. So they, these things we do all day, every day work a whole lot better. And then going down the list of things from there and, and taking it on a, 
you know, like a, a, a tiny, um, like a micro level, because those will multiply and add up over time to a bigger change. And also, especially when people are really burned out and fatigued, the micro thing will be perceived as so much more doable than any bigger wholesale invitation to learn or invest uh, in change right now. And any final thoughts to add to that as we wrap up? I love that wrap up. The other thing that I would say on this one, and this is as the advisor talking to a maven, right, is for Kayla to shift what she's learning to really be focused on like, what are, I know she mentioned it during it, but like looking at it from her team's perspective of what are they actually really struggling with? Um, it might be it's team habits. Maybe I'm wrong on that. What, but learning that side of things before she, before it's like, I'm coming in with a learning paradigm or I'm coming in with some of that. And so she could spend two, three months just in a reevaluation where she's lit up with the learning about what's actually going on with the organization without immediately pivoting that and assuming that other people want to be on that same journey with her. Right. So you get to have, you get to do what you're going to do, but do it in a way that's of service to the people around you. So absolutely what you said there and also flipping it and just in the, in a given moment where you're sensing that resistance, just pausing and saying like, what, What's the real struggle here? What's the real difficulty here? And making it safe for people to speak up about what that is. And it may be completely different, but once people can speak the truth, this goes to your point about what you said from the colleague. Once people know that they can say that, then you're actually back in a conversation. You're back engaged and you can co-create something that works rather than it being a tug of war about like who's going to do what. Mm, love that. Thank you so much, Charlie. Thank you. Uh, Kayla, thanks to all of our listeners out there. It's a true gift to be able to have these conversations and share them with you. And we will see you next time on the Spark Podcast. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.